0: The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai, hoki mai ki a The Fold. E mihi nei, ko Duncan Greve, talking Welcome to The Fold. Uh, This is the latest installment of the Creator Series. Today I have, uh, I think this is a pretty special episode. Uh, My guest is Kiane Matata-Sipu, who is many, many things as you will uh, sort of realize as you listen to this. Um, She's a journalist, she's a podcaster, she's an entrepreneur and an activist. You know, probably her... The biggest kind of public-facing thing she's done these past few years is, is been one of the founders of Seoul Save Our Unique Landscape, the movement which stepped in and uh, protected Ihumato from development into a special housing area. Um, but she's also a long-time uh, writer for Mana Magazine, a photographer and the thing that I originally asked her up to talk about, and we talk about a lot, um, but is uh, Nuku woman, which is a project to just casually uh, interview uh, for a podcast and photograph a hundred indigenous wahine. It's it, it started out as that. It's now going to end up as a book. It's a series of events happening later this month. It also feels like. You know, it could be if there's any sort of justice in this world, um, her life's work. Uh, you'll you'll hear the sort of passion that that um, that drives it in this interview. But there's a lot in here. I think the the role of Mana Magazine and the the hole it's left and and what prints, You know, which is probably the the smallest um, sector of Māori media, but but certainly an incredibly important one, and 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 has been diminished by the absence of Mana particularly the the sort of strategy and the thinking and what she as a journalist learned being on the other side of the you know, the unholy intensity of uh the Ihumato battle at its peak. Um and then what drives Nuku and the uh, what what makes it so rewarding but also so phenomenally difficult funding it and you know, it's, it's just it's a very special project, and uh, you know, she speaks very eloquently on it. The Fold is, as always, brought to you by Vodafone. Uh, Spin off runs on Vodafone network technology, podcasts like this, all our um, monstrous video files, switching to, to and from remote working whenever there's an, an outbreak. It, it handles the lot. And uh, if you have a business, you should take a hard look at vodafone.co.nz. This is The Fold. Sinqua and uh, welcome to the fold.
1: ora, thank you for having me.
0: Um, I wanted to start by talking about where you got your start, which is uh, Mana magazine and uh, you know, h- how you ended up at this this very prestigious part of the, um, of the Maori media world.
1: Yeah, so when I, if, well when I was in university just before I left, I had made this decision with myself that I was never going to work for Maori or Pacific media. That was it. I didn't want to be typecast as a Maori Pacific journalist who could only write stories about Maori and Pacific people, and I think it had sort of come off, you know, a year in journalism or well, my final year in journalism, where I was a little bit the token Maori, and so I just didn't want to continue that into my career. I wanted to show that I could write anything for anybody, and I was just as good as the next person. And then my first job was Mana Magazine, <laughs> and so it all went out the window. Um, but it was an incredible start. Absolutely phenomenal start. I got to work for Mana at a time where there was a very small team. I had Catherine Finlay as the associate editor, and of course, Derek Fox was still the editor at the time. And we did have um, a production manager when I first started, but she left not long after, and so I took on all of these different portai <laughs> and all of these different roles and learnt everything from you know from the beginning. To the end of magazine production every single part of it I was helping to production manage I was helping to organize advertisers I was writing I was taking photos I was um, not editing but proofreading. Um, I was able to have input in design and got a really good understanding of print and when you had to send orders off by and in what paper stock and all of this sort of stuff It was the best education I could have ever asked for and I got to work with some of the most amazing journalists I'd ever worked with and one of those in particular was Catherine Finlay, Um, absolutely incredible woman who taught me so much in those really, really early days of my career where you can pick up really bad habits or you can learn some really great things that you're going to carry on right throughout your life. And I was so privileged to have her influence me right at that, you know, beginning phase.
0: Yeah, and you think about the way that, you know, you know mainstream organisations are starting to finally um, kind of pay more attention to, to, to Māori stories and to pers- those perspectives. It feels like were it to be there, that, you know, the it almost like it, it went away just just like a year or so before it would have yeah. really um it, it, yeah, had ju- a it was
1: like it was just too early. and then i I think about in the last must have been about in the last week, when woman magazine did their Matsuriki cover and yeah. had all these, you know brilliant, amazing. Māori woman on the cover. And there's been so much hype around it. They're like, oh, this is so incredible that a mainstream magazine did this. I'm like, Māori magazines did that for decades. Like, where was the celebration when we were constantly putting Māori woman on the cover? Um, But it just, you know, having a magazine around at this point, having a Māori magazine around at this point in time, uh, alongside, you know, what these mainstream publications are doing, introducing Mm. Māori content would just this such so just i'm just i'm i'm sad because there was it was just seriously on the cusp of what could have been an explosion of great solid exciting maori print content whether it would have lasted covid i don't know though
0: i don't know there was a lot of support, <laughs> <laughs> support around for me from media in the end from from audiences and from government but um I just want to talk briefly before before we get to Nuku because I I think that's such a fascinating topic and I and there's a lot to get through there but to to talk about um your you know your role in in Seoul and um the sort of the relationship that you had to media through your work out at Uhumatao. Mm-hmm yeah do you want to just tell me about how that sort of because you were right at the very beginning of that, and initially it was a story that only marty media were interested in, and then suddenly it became this giant national flashpoint and you I'm sure at the peak of that it was an absolute inundation um of attention, not not all of it you know good or, or well intentioned, but do you want to just just talk about being on the other side in some ways of of the um the media equation through there?
1: Yeah, so um, I mean, my cousins and I sat around my kitchen table uh, six years ago to to just you know make the decision to stop the development of Doomato, and we all came with different skill sets. And my skill set was media and comms and storytelling.
0: Critical
1: for this. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so um, when we look at how the campaign has run over the six years we've had some phenomenal input by really amazing people like Francis Hancock is is one of them who uh, is an amazing writer and and helped me with press releases and all of that sort of stuff and so when we were first starting out in those first few years you're right we really only did get local community newspaper interest and then Maori media interest and we'd really have to be fighting to get stories and you know talking with reporters and sending in press releases and and all of this sort of stuff and then um, As soon as the eviction happened and (laughs) it went live, uh, media were constantly approaching us. And I had this really, I felt like I had this really interesting role in that I knew both sides really intimately. I knew exactly what the media were after, how they operated, what kind of angles they might be running. And so I could almost predict what we needed to do and how we needed to, you know, these are the key messages for tomorrow because this is what they're going to be asking. <laughs> to, pull, to pull the story
0: forward in a way yeah. that was productive for you. And
1: to be able to shift the story, um, to be able to uh, navigate the the different stories that were coming out of what was happening in Ihumatao and try and get us back on course, I was able to, I guess, when we have interviews on radio, you know, when you're going live and, and doing radio interviews with uh, radio stations who I might not name, but are quite racist. Um, <laughs> who
0: could they possibly be?
1: <laughs> who could they be? Um, put your magician's head on. <laughs> but. I think my experience in the media really helped me with those situations and to navigate conversations because I was like, yeah, I know this game, like, let's let's play. <laughs> and sometimes it would just be really fun to be a journalist on the other side because I could play the game.
0: <laughs> did you learn things through that? Like, like did it in some ways help your journalism to kind of be on the other side of such a volume of, of interest um, from such a diverse array of, of outlets? Yeah. It
1: reminded me that... The story you see is not necessarily the story that the people you see are not necessarily the people. You know, it really reminded me that you've got to dig deeper, that you've got to look in the, the nooks and crannies, that you've got to spend time with people to get the right story. Um, it also, I mean, I've never really been a news journalist, and so um, it taught me a lot about daily news journalism and what it was they were looking for and how to ensure there was a different angle the next day, because if I wanted to keep it in the news, then we needed to give them something different to talk about. Um it was, it was my first experience doing stand-ups, both organising them and then being in front of them. And that was that was interesting for me because while I've seen stand-ups <laughs> a lot, um, and I knew what they were, I really had to learn how to hold myself in that space, but then had to try and put my journalist hat on and go all right, what is it that they need? What does this look like from a camera? What kind of angles are getting shot here? (laughs) Um, And just there's so much going on and there's so much strategy. There is so much strategy that goes through my mind at every minute of every day, um, even now about, okay, how does the media perceive what we're doing? as a journalist, what kind of stories am I looking for? Um, we're really, right now, we're really tired and we haven't been doing a lot of interviews and it's been really nice having a break. And so it's, you know, do we need to do any more? What is this going to look like? When journalists call me and I say no, what does that feel like as a journalist? Am I, you know, just Are all of these yeah, like, like of just like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then the other thing I found was, because I know a lot of journalists in the industry, they'd come up to me and they'd be like, okay, so what's going on? Tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, mate, (laughs) what's happening here? And I really had to kind of go, oh, in this instance, you're not my friend. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like you are, but I had to be really careful what I said to my mates, um, bearing in mind, you know, when we were ready for things to be released. And so it's just this whole, when you're a journalist and involved in something like that you do see both sides of it you do understand both sides so much better it helps you it really helps with your campaign um, to have those skills to have that knowledge and to have those contacts but it also personally makes you question quite a lot like what can I say what can't I say who can I talk to when I say off the record are you actually listening to me as my friend? You know, like all of these sorts of things while keeping strategy in mind and making sure that we were there to meet the demands of the media. And some media got it really wrong and some media got it really right. And the ones that got it right were the ones who spent time with us. They stayed on the whenua. They were there day in, day out. They weren't just there for the story. They were there to learn, to understand, to get a bigger picture, and then use all of that knowledge to help build their story. And that that created, well, what I saw from the outside was that they had really great stories, but also they, wasn't just great stories for us, they were just really great stories, really well-informed stories, well-written stories. And today, journalists don't have the luxury of time, but those that, would come after hours and in their own weekends. They were the ones that did the best job, and um, I think that taught me something I already knew, but just helped to reinforce that you're not going to get a great story just by rocking up one day and going. So, what's happening here, guys? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, that is that, what, what you're describing as the the classic aspirational form of magazine journalism, mm. right? And that the whole system, the whole. Financial underpinnings of it allowed that in a way that I th- still think, as much as we might, you know, at the spin off and in a bunch of places online have those intentions, there's something about the hungry mouth of the digital um, audience that, that, you know, you just struggle to, to allow space for that to happen. Mm.
1: One of the core things for us was story sovereignty and ensuring that we were owning and telling our own story as well and not just relying on the media to tell our story. And so we were creating our own content. Um, obviously, we had our social media pages, and my cousin Panya was really influential in ensuring that those were continuously updated and... And that sort of stuff. When it came to the time of the occupation, um, I had a little comms team. <laughs> we were in a little portocom, and they—most of them were students—that um, just gave their time to the co And they would feed me on sugar because I was nicer to them when I was <laughs> when I had a bag a lollies. Um, <laughs> and so they, you know, they were really great at doing live videos and creating, you know, short snippets of content. And then we had. Um, Joss Wheeler who's a documentary photographer and we had Conan Fitzpatrick who's a brilliant filmmaker and they were on our crew 24-7 sleeping on the whenua but we were creating content like Co- Conan and I did the series called The Voices of Ihumata where we went around and, and filmed our just sharing you know who are you, why are you here, why is this important to you and um, creating that media was really vital for us to ensure that we had our own story that we had ownership of that, that the faro who were involved could see themselves because they were a lot of the time only seeing us, and it was really important for us that they could see themselves in the corridor. And so, I guess bringing some of those skills into that space was very beneficial. But it was also it was nice to also have a creative outlet in the middle of a quite traumatic time in my life.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> it's so interesting to, to hear you talk about that because, you know, there've been these these sort of flashpoints obviously regularly throughout throughout our our history and this one feels like it was the first that was navigated in the social media era and you were so adept at that i mean do you consider it to you know broadly have been a a successful campaign and and how much of that do you attribute to the the sort of uh those kind of Values, the intellect, the the sort of strategy, um, the story sovereignty, all of those things that you just discussed.
1: It is still a hugely successful campaign. Every day that there's not a house on that, Fenua means that it's a success and so many people deemed it unsuccessful because we'd lose in the courts or we'd lose this thing or well, this thing would happen and we're like, there's still no houses, we're still winning. Like features are not yeah. here, we're still winning. focus so, on that. Yeah. Um, hugely successful. Successful in a way that it um empowered Alfano that I'd never seen before and enabled our whānau to have a voice that they'd that had been oppressed for so long. And so all of those things have made it incredibly successful. But of course the strategy Strategy behind it, the multi pronged approach, the um, having the political strategy as well as the comm strategy, as well as the community strategy, like all of those things happening in parallel enabled it to be successful. Having a dedicated team, like the team, the sole Fano would meet every Tuesday for like three years straight <laughs> to keep this thing going. And um, I I liken it to a waka that you know, some people get on the waka and some people need to get off and have a rest but the waka keeps moving and that's what the campaign has been like over the last six years and I think you can't attribute the success of what's happened to one thing Social media was incredible. Social media enabled 400 people to show up on the whenua in the middle of the night one Sunday when the police decided to come in um, during Whaka Moimiti. And it turned out that the public outnumbered the police and we had to start negotiating for the police's safety to ensure that they got out of their safe because it was dark, <laughs> you know. Mm. People were rolled up, people were scared, and then masses of people showed up um, because of social media, you know ten thousand people showed up in that first week because of social media, and so the power of social media has been huge and getting these messages out far and wide to people who believe in the same thing, who want justice, who want Māori rights, who care about the environment, you know, being able to communicate with masses. I think um, our Instagram page gained 45,000 followers in two days or something like that. It was just incredible. And all of those things, as well as, you know, very targeted strategies for certain things um, enabled that to happen. And I think the fact that's, That we were able to look at the media, see how much power and influence the media had and putting pressure on the government Mm. and then riding that wave was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Not necessarily at the time, (laughs) but there were moments where I was like, this is going to happen, guys. You yeah. can just you can see it and you can feel it, and it doesn't matter that there's this group of naysayers on this side. When I monitor this lot of media, and when I monitor this feedback, and horribly when I monitor the comments, um, this is this is the direction that we can see it going, and it's going to happen. And it, we were able to leverage that.
0: It feels like it's kind of created a, a bit of a manual for any future people to in this era. To navigate a, a similar situation, um, to to make it something that everyone involved, and ultimately the politicians who you're seeking to, or or other s- sort of stakeholders of power who, who you're seeking to influence, have um, you know have no choice but to to engage on your terms. We'll just take a very quick break and uh, be back with more from Kane Matata Sipu and the Fold Shortly. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out of home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis.
1: Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today.
0: Kia ora and welcome back to The Fold. What I want to talk about uh, Nuku, which is a you know in in terms of its uh, you know almost couldn't be more different in terms of the the pace and, and intentions of it and yet came i guess was it in the the aftermath of the tell tell, tell me about <laughs> it and 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 where it came from and what its intentions are
1: so i launched nooka in january 2019 i started creating the first 10 podcasts in november the year before And um, it came from a couple of different things. Uh, One was I had all of this diverse experience, media, comms, photography, uh, wahine, Maori, (laughs) just um, all of these different parts of my life, an artist, you know, all of these things. And I was like, okay, I feel like I'm doing 10 different things. How do I bring all of those things together to do one thing? So that was sort of one element of it. Another element of it was... I had actually thought about starting my own magazine and had had a conversation with my grandmother who helped raise me. I I was raised with her and my grandfather in their home, and I'd had this um, real, you know, intense series of conversations with her that I was going to start this Māori magazine. And she was my biggest fan, and so she was like, great idea. (laughs) Um, And then she did the dirty on me and she died. And she died really suddenly and really unexpectedly, and at the time she died, I was six years into infertility treatment, and I was just completely devastated as not even enough to describe where I was at that point in my life. I was probably the lowest I'd ever been, and I was in this big black hole. And from a Tau Pākehā perspective, you might label it the word depression, but from a Tau Māori perspective, I was having very intense wānanga with Firo. and um, I was questioning, you know, who am I as an Indigenous woman? What am I even doing with my life? You know, what's going on? And over that sort of period, I started thinking about this magazine, and I was like, nope, it's not going to be that. That idea is dead in the water now and I hate selling advertising so I really don't want to do that.
0: That is unfortunately (laughs) an inevitable part of it. I have this
1: like disdain for advertising so I'm not going to do that. Um, And then about a year after my grandmother died, I miraculously fell pregnant and I discovered that I was bringing into this world a girl, a young indigenous woman and I thought, what media does she have access to? What is she seeing about Indigenous women at the moment? And where is she getting this information? And she, obviously, she was still growing but <laughs> in my puku. <laughs> but, um, you know, what is it that I'm leaving her? And what am I creating for her? And what does she want to be? And who can she see that she can be? And all of these sorts of things. And so as I was growing her, I was growing Nuku. And um, it came quite clearly, to be honest. And I feel like it came with my daughter, And it was, yep, nuku, derived from the word papatuanuku, from our ultimate female essence. It's going to be 100 Indigenous women. And after the first 10, I was like, why the fuck did you say 100? (laughs) It's a round
0: number. It's a big number. um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) So 100 Indigenous women doing things differently. It's going to be a podcast. I'd never made podcasts before. Didn't have any experience in broadcasting. And um, I was going to ensure that every wahine had beautiful portraits. We were going to do behind-the-scenes video. And at the culmination of 100, I was making a book. And it's taken me three years, but I've done all of that. I've interviewed 100 women, I've photographed 100 women. We've got behind-the-scenes video of all of them. And I'm about 20 stories away, which will be finished in two days, um, from writing this book. And it, it was all, you know, part of it was healing for me because it was about meeting and speaking with all of these incredible women all across the country as you know, I, I recorded some podcasts in the boot of my car at Te, Te and in Waitangi. Um, I've been across to Rekohu, Chatham Islands, and had two women over there. Um, been in the freezing cold in Dunedin. Been on both, you know, both coasts. And, and we've had... Wahine Māori make up the majority of the 100. We also have Samoan, Tongan, Papua New Guinean, Hawaiian, Indigenous Indian, which is different to Indian women on the caste system because Indigenous Indian women do not even, not even recognise as human, have had the youngest is 14, the oldest is in her 70s, uh, rural, city, like just this incredibly diverse group of women. And so part of it was incredibly healing for me the other part of it really stretched my journalism skills and really stretched my media creation and content creation and and management skills. <laughs> and all of it incredibly stretched and broke my budget because it's a completely unsustainable co kaupapa in that I have run it alongside running my full-time business. Um, it's taken me three years because I've you know had seven months off on the fenuity hum and then COVID hit last year, and so it's taken me three years to get to this point. I had these big ambitions that it was going to be done in a year
0: <laughs> <laughs> three years seems seems quite good given the scale of the thing to be honest
1: um i we've relied on koha donations we had a um a boosted campaign last year where people donated fifty thousand dollars to us to help keep it going. We've had a couple of grants from Creative New Zealand Foundation North, um, the Tyndall Foundation, you know, just not big grants. Not, nothing we've received has paid, um, you know, in full for anything that we've created. However, they've been enough to just get us over the hurdle. And so at the moment, the grants, the most recent grants that we received helped me finish um, interviewing the last 100. Um, and it's it's been a fucking awesome project to be a part of and it's grown into a movement that I now need to try and figure out where it goes to next because the original goal was you know ticking off all these achievables <laughs> and once the book is out which would be about October this year I would have done everything I set out to do and so now I've got to figure out where to next.
0: I was going to ask about that because it, it, you know, it is just sort of, it's an enormous scale project. You can imagine a whole media company doing nothing but that. I mean, in yep. some ways, that's <laughs> I imagine
1: it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but it also does sort of, you know, one of the things I find so fascinating about it is like, is, is how do you define it? You know, like it is it it's it's not a media like it's 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 not quite a magazine it it is a podcast series, but it's a lot more than that, mm-hmm. but it also has the feeling of this kind of found network of people who who are sort of you know who you you have sought out but you know that could collectively kind of do you know there's there's so many directions you could take it, and I'm sure that's what you sit with all the time
1: yeah, there are so many things um storytelling is is the core of who I am. You know, a couple of years I was challenged to talk about my mau my purpose, what is it? And I managed to get it down to one sentence, which is, you know, for me, I'm here to tell the stories of marginalized people in their communities so that I can change the narrative for future generations. That's what I do. That's, that's it. That's
0: pretty profound.
1: And I do it in all of these different ways. And Nuku is about amplifying the indigenous female voice. When we look at privilege not only in Aotearoa but across the world, it is our indigenous females that are at the bottom of any privilege scale. And these are the voices that are actually changing our world these are the voices that are keeping us alive in the world these are the voices and the people and the mahi and all of that sort of stuff that are creating a future where we are all going to thrive because these are the voices who are protecting popotowonoku who are you know have got such incredible values and in everything that they do in their businesses and their and um, their community work and so by supporting, amplifying and championing Indigenous voices we're creating a better world and you can't define that, you can't put that in a box because it is what it is and and so many people have said to me but is it? But is it this? you know, is it this thing, or is it this thing? I'm like it's all of those things.
0: It's its own thing.
1: Yeah, it's its own thing, And I love that because it ain't nobody else's thing. <laughs> it's it's this, it's this space that actually refuses to be defined because we as indigenous women cannot be just one thing. And it will always have a storytelling component because the foundation of Nuku is creative and social impact storytelling. That's that's it at its core. Um but it will also have like I've just designed a collection of earrings.
0: I was about to say like <laughs> Which, is, uh, which match, is a bit random, you know? but
1: you know, I've got to figure out how to pay for this thing. And so I've designed a collection of earrings. I've got some clothing that's been designed um, and all of, you know, while they are little bits and pieces and, you know, $10 here and $20 here profit I'm talking about, not price. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, all of that adds up to something and helps to keep it going. I say it as a joke, but it is completely unsustainable. I have run myself to the point of exhaustion and I don't, I really don't know how I will continue doing this because I have de- you know I've run it at a deficit um alongside trying to run a full-time business to pay my bills but it is needed in this you know it is needed in this industry <laughs> it is needed in this country to hear how nuku has impacted people people send me emails and they uh, send us private messages on social media and half the time I will read it and I will cry because the impact that these women's stories, their authentic, uncut, you know, um, stories where they have story sovereignty
0: you have, that have, note. have you had
1: n- profound impact on people.
0: Yeah, yeah I was going to say you have that note in the, the, the notes of the podcast saying take a break if you need to because they are... Is weight.
1: Yeah, and and some of them you do. You just have to kind of push pause and and have a rest and then come back to it a little bit later because there are some heavy conversations that happen. And I don't shy away from that because we need that. We need to be able to have authentic conversations. We need to be able to sit here and say it as it is. We've been so um, censored in the world for so long that we think taking photos of our food and putting our flash clothes on on social media is is the cool thing. And it's like, no. Talking about things that matter is the cool thing. That's how we're going to change the world. That's how we're going to create a better space for our tamariki and That's what I want my daughter to grow up and see. And I suppose it's a little bit selfish, but I've made that for her. And if it's for her, then it's for your kids too. And we really... Um, Ugh, I just need some rich investor <laughs> who wants nothing from me but <laughs> to support the creation of Nuku.
0: Because it feels like it's not, as much as it's done for now, it also feels like it could be a life's work for you if, if, if you were able to figure out that sustainability piece.
1: My dream would be to drop everything else and just do Nuku. That would be my dream. I love working with my clients, and I love doing all the other stuff that I do. I'm, a, you know, the comms manager for my marae and my iwi, and you know, <laughs> all these other things, and I do love that. And I'll probably still do that in in a sense, and I'll probably still freelance and, and write columns and all that sort of stuff. But if I could focus 100 percent on Nuku and just make that, I will die a very happy woman.
0: <laughs> it's a beautiful place to end it. Thank you so much <laughs> for for coming up, Kani. Story is extraordinary, and uh, anyone listening, please go and seek out Nuku and support it if you can. Uh, there's a there's a button to do that.
1: Yes, there's a button for koha. <laughs> <laughs> Kilda, thank you so much. Kia ora.
0: That was the fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of the fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis.